You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where it's morphin time. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said or will say on this show. Before we begin, I just want to take a moment of reflection of some news that broke after I made the outline, but before we recorded today. Jason David Frank, who is most known for playing the Green Ranger and the White Ranger in the Power Rangers franchise, died via suicide. I guess yesterday, today, I don't know. When you're hearing this, whenever you're hearing this, this is recorded on a Sunday, so I guess on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. I don't know. I don't know all all the details of it. I also find it strange to say died via suicide. I also find it strange to say committed suicide. Whatever verbiage we want to use, I just wanted to reflect on it for a moment because he was only 49 years old. 49 years old. He was in excellent physical shape. He was constantly working. You know, he was working the convention circuit. He was making Power Ranger material, whether in the specific license or not. He was, you know, he was in episodes and movies that, you know, they're still making Power Rangers. And, you know, he was starring in movies, which may or may not be considered knockoffs of the Power Rangers. So the point is, he he still had a lot of life left to him. He may have been in the, the second half of his life, but he had a lot of life to, left in him. He was beloved by many, yet he still took his own life. Now, I don't know the man. I didn't know the man. I'm not a huge Power Rangers fan. But I'm struck by this because he was sort of an iconic figure in my childhood. I remember the first spoiler I ever saw. I I had had a subscription to Disney Adventures magazine. And there was an advertisement in in an issue for a trivia game. It was around the time they were trying to conceal the identity for the big reveal of who the White Power Ranger was. Well, on the advertisement, there was a trivia card that said, who is the White Ranger revealed to be in the Power Rangers show? And it gave the answer of, of Tommy Oliver, played by Jason David Frank. And that was published in the magazine before the episode had aired on television and you know, that was my first spoiler, and I remember watching the Power Rangers a lot and seeing both movies, and you know, Tommy was a pretty cool character. So for someone who is so iconic, so important, and much more important to other people than myself, but so important culturally to a generation, and beloved and working to have taken his own life, what is there to say? What can be said? What should be said? And I don't have the answer. But what can be said and what should be said about mental health in our culture, especially the mental health of men. I I hope this provides many of us 
an opportunity to step back and reflect on that. I know I know we talk about it often here on the midside, but I think this is more evidence of that. When I first heard, you know, I just went on Twitter briefly and it was rumors and I thought there's no way that could be true. But then it was confirmed by TMZ. And as I've said before, TMZ is actually one of the most trustworthy news sources because they only report on what they know to be true. I realized it was true. And then all of these implications culturally came to me. So I don't always like, you know, on social media and a podcast mourning every celebrity's death because everybody has their favorite celebrities and there's so many celebrities nowadays and it, it seems kind of hollow and empty. I just wanted to briefly touch on this tragedy because I see this as an actual tragedy that many people have and will continue to suffer the same fate. Now let's move forward and talk about some hopefully less depressing farce. Let me bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, another beautiful Southern California day. It was, uh, I woke up, it was like 58 degrees outside and now it's 73 in sunshine, so... It's uh, I love fall here. Put some logs on the fireplace in the evening. You say that when the rest of the country is having a uh, a cold front. Did you see Buffalo is under six feet of snow? Nice. Well, isn't that normal winter? Come on now, for Buffalo, <laughs> six feet, six feet. Well, they thought they were Buffalo. Thought they were top of the world. They thought their team was the best team in the NFL. Yeah, they true. forgot where they lived, and now the reality is hitting <laughs> Buffalo right now. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. But I had a great workout this morning, and I'm looking forward to uh, an exciting trip of farce. We got a lot of we got a lot of farce today because uh, the announcement, the orange man bad, he's back on Twitter, my friend. Does <laughs> that's this mean, part of it. <laughs> just <laughs> we can't we can't we got to lead with the headline. I actually thought uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter would make it less farcical, but it has somehow increased the amount of farce. So Ooh, it yeah, made it we'll, uh, a. <laughs> Made it related to the midside, but we'll get into all that. Yeah, let's get Let's it. do it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash podcast or the midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. Another way you can support the show is you can participate in our year-end awards show by submitting your nominations and your vote for Farce of the Year, most farcical news story of the year. So if you head into our Discord, which I'll plug in a little bit here, or you go to our website, you will see the Midside Year End Awards link there. You get to put in all your nominations for awards such as Narcissist of the Year or Tom Brady Medal for the Greatness in the Face of Doubters. Uh, Our final show is coming up, our final show before our 
uh, New Year slash wrestling season hiatus will premiere December 18th. Let's start off, William, with some farce everyone is going to expect us to talk about. Uh, I got this sent to me by several people. The Daily Wire Plus, which, by the way, can we move beyond everyone naming their services Plus? And can we move beyond everyone needing oh, a streaming service? Come on, or just remember, just remember, the Plus is before it had to be Extreme with like multiple X's. So yeah. do we want to go back to Extreme? <laughs> do we want to go back to the nineties and everything be Extreme? Yeah, I'd re- I'd rather I'd I'm more likely to subscribe to Daily Wire Extreme than Daily Wire Plus. <laughs> okay, all right. As long like, as, as, long as Daily Wire, as long as we know what we're trading for here, we're making it. We're making a, this is a trade off. Daily Wire Extreme sounds like Ben Shapiro might get hit with a chair, so <laughs> I'm for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, they secured the exclusive film TV rights to the classic novel Atlas Shrugged. Now, of course, people are going to want to know, oh, are you excited for the Atlas Shrugged series, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing, William. A lot of people may not know. I was on set for Atlas Shrugged Part 2. I was part of pre-production for Atlas Shrugged Part 3, and I actually uh, withdrew myself from the situation of pre-production for Atlas Part 3 because I saw how bad it was going. I had submitted a treatment for Part 3, which uh, was never addressed, even though uh, I knew the two executive producers uh, personally from being on set. Uh, And when I say personally, like I was in the office with them every day, right, With 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 the role I had, especially in between the two movies. When I say in between, I mean the time span in between. And here's the thing I I don't know, and this is the big question for me, is they are still attached. John Aglioloro, who had purchased the rights and produced the previous film trilogy, and Harmon Caslow, who worked with him, are still attached as producers. And Scott DiSapio, who ran the marketing branch of Atlas Productions, and... uh, I worked with and I will say that I subsequently blocked him on every possible communication platform because I didn't want to be associated with that person or have him any have any ways of communicating with me uh, is listed as an executive producer. Now, William, part of me uh, knows that when they have the rights, they're going to negotiate being listed as producers on the new movie, if they're if they're selling the rights over, that's typical, right? I mean, one of the guys who yeah. is listed as a writer for the pilot of Lost didn't even write the pilot of Lost. He did like an, another pilot about a plane that crashed on an island. It's just legally, that's how it worked out. But to list someone as an executive producer, that seems to suggest more power. So... Besides the reservations about Ben Shapiro's company doing this, I also have reservations because it seems to me the same people are going to be involved that prove they do not have the creative talent. I was trying to think of a nice way of saying it. The creative talent or, or the any creative talent. Yeah. Yeah. Or the thematic or the, Right. Because they look, my basic concept here is. This is what I would do. If I was going to do a trilogy, I would have them be three different types of stories. And the third one would be an action story where you're culminating all the ruminations and thoughts and the conflicts 
that were developed in the first two. But they turned the third one into a Hallmark romance movie. Are we really going to go there again? Yeah. Well, Justin, I think I'm a little less pessimistic because isn't that how they uh, get rid of uh, untalented people is they give them executive producer credits? You know, I don't, I've been watching uh, uh, Star Trek Disgracery or Picard, but I've heard the later seasons got better because they just, uh, you know, made the, uh, the original showrunner uh, a producer and brought in a different, uh, different showrunner. So could it be something like that kind of situation where, uh, you know, maybe the creative talent, the creative buck will stop with, uh, with, uh, uh, boring. And then, the the, the, you know, the, all the money is going to get funneled to the right places via the executive producer credit. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that's well, what's going on with it. But then the other question I have for you, William is who is the creative talent here? Is it someone from the Daily Wire? Are they really going to understand? And I don't want to make it seem like, William, people listening to this who may be new to the show or, you know, think, you know, know us from a different way. Um, I'm not talking about like ARI. You have to be completely dogmatic about this production here. Right. I, I have ideas in the ways I would approach it that are not dogmatic to the novel. So I don't want to act like we're being that way. But but we also don't want to, you know, make it for a modern audience, quote unquote, like yes. we do with all the video games. Right. Right. We'll try to wokeify it or soften it. Right. Well, they almost kind of did that in part two, where there, there's really a potential here where you turn it into an environmentalist screed with the idea that John Galt's motor would get rid of the need for fossil fuels and would make it so we could have much less of a carbon footprint that was insinuated in part two by the writers. So it very easily could go in that kind of direction if they wanted it to. And it could go into more of a, you know, a sort of nationalist perspective too, if the more Trumpian side of the right wing gets involved with it. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know who are the creatives here and what kind of approach are they going to make? And is it good? Well, they did give us a little bone here, right? Cause they talk about, they talk about, um, in the press release, um, that uh, boring vow that the series will be true to the book's message, plot, and character archetypes, and then later he says champions Rand's theory of objective reality and morality, set in an overregulated dystopian United States, and told from the perspective of a railroad executive and protagonist Danny Taggart and the fiercely individualistic leader John Colt. It promotes the theme that self-interest is not only the most moral but also the only viable way to organize society. Now, that's not terrible. No, that's not terrible. I, no, it's not terrible, but there's two things I don't like about it. I don't like it's it, this could be unclear writing, but it's make it seem like John Galt's a character from the beginning. Uh, I don't think that's a smart choice. Uh, and also the only viable way to organize society. That's making primary the political and if it's supposed to be about morality, right, and, and objective reality, I'm trying to I'm trying to counterbalance your pessimism, Justin. Morality is in the first part of that sentence. The politics is, is in the second part. It is, but it look. Here's the thing. Can I be hopeful, please, Justin? I mean, I, <laughs> does this say Zack Snyder is making this? No, you can't be hopeful. Like. <laughs> oh, I don't okay. care if it's okay. viable. I mean, call yeah. me a dick, but I don't care if it's viable. 
Do you get what I'm saying? This is why I am moving more and more towards not having a federal government or having an extremely limited federal government and having the local state and city governments be the primary. Because it doesn't matter if it's viable or not. It matters what is in line with human nature. And human nature is self-interest and is, if you're not self-interest well understood, your self-interest poorly understood, which means you have such a limited scope that why are we having people who with a limited scope running things for people they're not connected to? So that's what happens when you make this all about the only viable way is to organize society. This is what I'm always saying when, and I think this is one of the great points made by Batman versus Superman when it says every act on this earth is a political act. That is a Marxist perspective that has smuggled itself into all political and all philosophical discourse in our culture. And I think this write up this, uh, I can't remember the word. It's not a tagline. Yeah. Just they conflate, they conflate morality with politics. Yes. It's just, they're pushing them together because all acts are moral acts, but not all acts are political acts, but they want, they, they hold the, the frozen abstraction of Marxist philosophy and politics as moral they they right. invert the moral hierarchy or they smash the hierarchy, I guess you'd well, say. Well, they right. They smash the hierarchy, and the hierarchy they're just they're smashing is the philosophical hierarchy. You yeah. gotta figure out how the universe works, you gotta figure out how we know how the universe works, and then you gotta figure out what's right and wrong based on that. And then politics is your application of this. This is why, William, and actually this in here even smuggles in the issues within the objectivist community. But this is why what I just said is why objectivists can disagree. Objectivism is not a political philosophy. While I agree capitalism follows necessarily from it, I, I disagree with Rand that it's the primary in it. Well, she didn't say it was the primary. I disagree that it's an essential of it. And what I mean by it is the essential of objectivism is metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. The rest is an application of it, which I agree capitalism is a necessary application of it, but the proper form of organizing society is not a necessary application of it. What does the application of capitalism look like? What does the application of government look like? Should it be democracy? Should it be federalism? These are things that reasonable people who apply objectivism can disagree on. And when you smuggle this in, you smuggle in the floating abstraction of Marxism, as you said, it makes that disagreement impossible because what does everything become, William? It becomes an ideological purity test, does it not? Yeah. Yep. And they're doing the same thing. Yeah, we can't we can't start with that same philosophical base if if uh, you're uh, uh, not to open old wounds, but um, if uh, if voting for a particular person uh, means you don't understand objectivism, right? Although if you if you don't vote for DeSantis, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, I am not a genius. That's true. Moving on. That's true. The the ultimate point here, so we can move on, William, is that if you approach things from a political perspective, you can't make good. Art. And that's what they're going to do again here. That's why I have no hopes. That's why I have no hopes. Speaking Excellent. of a political perspective, uh, something interesting came across my, my email. 
And I think it, it brings to light a point people don't really think about when they think about social justice culture and why we're so obsessed with controlling the language. But I think the power of lawyers in our culture really shows and really affects and influences why uh, social justice is so focused on language and labels. So I got an email uh, about a, a Kickstarter campaign because I gave to Kickstarter like 10 years ago. So now I get spam kicks. Like no matter how many times I unsubscribe, random campaigns email me. And this campaign is called Let's Both Go Home Tonight. And it's about a sticker you can put on your car in a registry that uh, will help you from being killed or assaulted by the police. It says, this is the actual uh, Indiegogo page, which, by the way, William, I don't know if you noticed, has zero donations. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it has zero donations and one discussion point. Yeah. Survive your next traffic stop. Let's both go home tonight. Window decal and bumper sticker registration on our website. First of all, William, before I even go into the deeper point, I think framing things to a police officer as let's both go home tonight is terrible rhetoric. Like if I see that. What if he's cute? What if he's cute? (laughs) It it sounds like flirting to me. I'm sorry it does. Okay. It doesn't say let's both go home tonight together. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, the it's implied. Look at the look at the picture of that longing look out the window. Okay, this is you read that's this. Not, as that's a, not fear in his eyes. That's not fear in his eyes. You read this as a much different campaign than I read it. <laughs> uh, it's because it's farcical. It's I know it's serious, but I, like it, I can't help but see the farce in this, and like the look of him looking out the window, like it's a romantic uh, comedy, is hilarious. It, do, it, it is uh, hilarious. It, this is a. Uh, <laughs> This is very true. I didn't think of this, but it's, it's yeah. accurate. See, this is this is what I bring to the show, Justin. You're going to bring all this deep and depth thought, and I'm going to laugh at it because it looks like a romantic comedy picture. Yeah. So, yeah, don't don't say that to a cop. You just come across combative already, don't you, William, when it's like, let's both go home. Yeah. Let's you both won't. go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is, I'm going to read some of the the uh, the copy here on the on the website. I am a criminal law attorney. Time after time, my criminals told me horror stories of almost being shot by the police during routine traffic stops. Which, by the way, I'm going to assume, William, when he says almost being shot, that means the police pulled a gun on them. Just because they pull a gun on you doesn't mean you're almost shot. Am I wrong, William? You are You are not wrong. Okay. There's also just placing where, where they place their hand on, like whether they're ready to draw, right. things like that. People, People might take s- that as aggression. Yeah. Right, yeah. When it's like, nah, might not be aggression. You yeah. don't know what's going on in the. Well, and that's what I'm going to get to here, right? That's what I'm going to get to here. One thing they all had in common. The police officer told them they wanted their license, insurance, and registration. When they went to comply, their hands would disappear from view, and the police officer panicked every time. That's when guns were drawn and pointed. So, William, before we even move forward, uh, I have been pulled over and... The police officer comes over to the window, and then I get my stuff. Or, before they get out of their car and walk over to me, I get my stuff. So there's never any sort of question. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It just, this doesn't make any sense to me. But then continuing. So the part about producing papers had to be removed from the traffic stop. I decided to put 
my client's papers online and let the police officer look them up on a simple website where we store licenses, titles, and insurance. My system, which I call Let's Both Go Home Tonight, was developed for many stops and starts. It takes away the grappling for papers and tells the officer to go online. Then my client keeps his hands on the steering wheel, the the real key to the system. So then he goes on and he says he made a bumper sticker and a decal and he needs this funding to, you know, get the website up higher quality and to print these decals and to send them to people. But here's the thing for me, William. What makes this farcical and what makes your your joke so hilarious and so well taken is it's disconnected from reality. A police officer should never care. You should never care in general about the words someone is saying or the words on a sign on their car or house. The police officer is going to judge the actions. Is he or she not going to do that? Yes. Although I will judge the action of you putting stupid stickers like this on your car if I was a police officer, too. Well, that's what I was but saying. Not... This makes things worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I'm not going to read the content of your stickers and say, therefore, X or Y. Right. The fact that you're going to cover your car with these kind of ridiculous stickers, will I will, I will use that as part of my uh, profile. Right. And that's the point I'm making, is the profile they're going to make of you is not... That it says, no guns in the car, no knives, no drugs, I don't drink and drive, I am friendly. Just because you write those on a sticker doesn't make any of those things true. And what I'm, the point I'm trying to make here, William, is I think this is a perfect example of how, a perfect example of how lawyers privilege words and rhetoric over reality and their influence on the culture has helped contribute to this social justice movement where the reality of your lived experience doesn't matter. It's what gender you say you feel like that matters. The words you use, your pronouns that matter. Do you understand my argument here? Yeah. Also, this cannot possibly be a defense attorney. It says I'm a criminal law attorney, but I'm telling you this is not a defense attorney. You want to know why? Yes. What's on the sticker there, Justin? I consent to search. The answer, you're never supposed to, right? Yeah. Like, that's pre-consenting, right? You're yeah. never. You're, any defense lawyer will tell you, remain silent. If they ask if it's okay to search, you say no. Right? Right. That's but, not about being combative, right? Right. You're not saying, because they could arrest you and still search your car. But you're, 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 you don't have to give them your consent. It's not, it's not resisting for you to say, I do not consent. Yeah. But that's I mean, not the, like a Karen and screaming at the top of your lungs, but like, you yeah, know, that's where the social justice stuff comes in, though, man. They're going to say that, you know, you know, a minority is going to have to consent automatically because they're going to make up excuses to forcefully search them. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to another platform where people are always focused on what is said, not what is real. Twitter. And all the controversy that is going on now that Elon Musk uh, purchased it. I know you wanted to discuss uh, Trump being reinstated. Trump's pr- triumphant return, yeah. He's uh, apparently back. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't looked into it. Kanye's also back. So expect for good Kanye, bad Kanye. Um, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I'm talking to uh, one, of, one, of the, uh, one of my friends, Midsider, who shall remain nameless. Very upset about 
you know, Musk is letting hate speech back on the platform. And, and, uh, I don't know, like it, this kind of, it touches onto this stuff that, that we're going to get into in a second with anonymity, but I want to take a really quick sidetrack on it because, you know, Twitter existed back in 2015 and 2016 before hate speech was even a thing in the zeitgeist. And Justin, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm increasingly, uh, putting at least the Western definition of hate speech as kind of like an anti-concept made up of a couple of things, but it's, it's mostly about it, blasphemy laws, right? It's, it's just a, it's a profanity and blas blasphemy laws, right? Is what, is what hate speech is, is sort of defined as today in sort of Western culture. Um, there's these privileged groups that you're not allowed to say certain words about or certain imply certain concepts or state certain concepts about. And therefore, that's blasphemy. And, and, and you're a blasphemer and you should be, you know, not allowed to go to you know receive money on PayPal or I don't know what other social privileges you're you know, obviously not allowed to post on Twitter um, or shouldn't be allowed to post on Twitter, these sort of things. And uh, without uh, maybe maybe I'll end up sounding like a bigot, but uh, this sounds a lot like the '80s when we were you know not not allowed to say fuck on radio and TV and, and shit like that, right? Like this is this is just profanity laws, right? It's or at least part of it is part of it is. Well, it's completely just profanity laws, and it's what you've said before, where it's just being used to silence people they don't like, and it's exactly the same thing. That's what you were just talking about, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the the reason it is an anti-concept, and this is still something I'm, I'm I'm trying to clear up in my head, is because it's combined with this idea that, well, if people aren't allowed to say it, then they can't think it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, like yeah, that comes th back to what people did talked about with hate crimes is that you can't you can't criminalize intent because you can't. The reason you can't criminalize intent is because you can't know intent. And it's the same yeah. thing with, with hate speech. You're assuming that because somebody says something, their intent was hate. And this goes back to us talking about like open discussions about thing like things like transgender, right? We're not allowed to have those open discussions because if you do and you disagree with whatever the orthodoxy is, they assume it's hate speech. When you say, it's because right. you start every time you say something negative, you're clearly applying it to everyone who is X in this case transgender. Well, it's not even uh, just versus... negative. Dude, it's it's yeah. it's confusing being critical with negative. Those aren't even yeah. the same thing. It's the it's the frozen abstraction fallacy, like on steroids, right? Yeah. Like, every time you try to talk about it, then then you're immediately uh, extrapolated to the frozen abstraction of all transgender or all people or whatever. Well, and it's it's like Scott Adams says. You know, one of the things he gets right, and not to say he gets everything right. But it's like he says, it's mind reading. It's mind reading on steroids, William. It's people yeah. can look at one statement from you devoid of all concept, concepts, and especially on Twitter, like a tweet taken as the most important thing you've said is in itself a frozen abstraction, is it not? Oh, yeah. this one thing yeah. represents everything you believe. Well, that's mind reading on steroids, isn't it? If I can read one tweet and think I know everything about you. All right, so anything else to say? Valor, Valor Morgales, all men die, right? Yeah. Anything else uh, to say about Trump? No, no, that's it on Trump and uh, in the, the whole hate speech, and we're allowing hate speech now. I, the, the, again, to me, it seems like an anti-concept. I'm going to keep working on this, but it's something to do with those two concepts that they're mashing together into hate speech, for sure. Yeah. No, I like it. I like where you're going. And this is all part of the ongoing discussion of how should Twitter be managed now that there's a new owner with a different... <laughs> Uh, I like that now it's a private company. Everyone is so into how it's being managed. 
<laughs> that's the other that's the other farcical thing, right? No one cared how it was being well, I mean some people cared, those undesirables that got kicked off of Twitter. But now it's like New York Times and everyone's screeching at the top of their lungs that what a terrible manager Elon is. Well, it's uh, let, let's be honest here. Let, let, let's be fair here. It's because it was taken over from one singular ideological perspective and yeah. they're afraid they lost it. Because here's the thing. This is what they don't want to address with groups such as incels. And I brought it up on the show before and people listening are like, how did we just take this hard left into incels, right? How do we just turn down this road? Well, I'm going to tell From you. From Trump to incels? Come on now. It's the Trump it's to not, incel pipeline. It's, it's, not, it's not that far of a jump. It's not that far of a jump. It's not that far of a jump. Because I've said it before. And I've heard other people say this now recently. And I was like, did they get this argument from me or did they de- derive this argument independently? Remember where I've said before, William, that it used to be the town idiot was just the town idiot and everyone was just like, ah, that's a town idiot spouting nonsense. Well, the Internet has a, created a place for town idiots to network. Now, what do mm-hmm. I mean by that in reality? In reality, what that means is people who feel oppressed or feel like they can't speak or feel like they're being censored or silenced or have some sort of victim complex can get together on the internet and hype each other up and find a a community they feel safe in because communication on the internet is mediated through a few mediums. It's through the technology you're using and through the platform you're using and through whatever profile you're using. So you can have three levels of mediation there. And the point being, the the far left with the social justice movement has taken over this space because those are the people who psychologically feel the need to be part of this kind of communication because they can't communicate in real life. Now, I am... What would, I, what would I say? Indirectly, implicitly making an argument here that they're disconnected from reality. Yes. And if that makes you mad, okay. I disavow everything. Remember? Um, but yeah, they're disconnected from reality, so they necessarily have to hide here. And unless the people who run these platforms are responsible about them, they will be overrun by these type of people. And Twitter was, which is why there's such a backlash now. It was a tool for the far left and William people thought I was crazy when I harped on it did we not first see this the most with the way Batman versus Superman was attacked yeah all the stuff about bots first happened with Batman versus Superman maybe it wasn't the first thing ever but it was right on the fringe it was right around that time when bots started to be used coordinated campaigns started to be used and it was our first introduction to it Now, that's commonplace on the app. And now the question for Elon Musk is, how is he going to deal with that? And this is completely, William, associated with and tied up in the idea of anonymity on the Internet. So a midsider actually had huge interaction with this. Huge interaction that he was in a Twitter thread with Jordan Peterson Jack, the guy who created Twitter originally, and Elon Musk. And this Twitter thread even got reported on by Forbes. 
So this is directly, this is farce that the mid-side is directly involved with. So Jordan Peterson tweeted, don't allow the anonymous troll demons to post with the real verified people, Elon Musk, put them in their own hell, along with others like them, along with others like them. LOL, lulz, bro, bruh, hyper users are narcissistic. Well, isn't that where I just said, William, where I said it's not a far uh, gap between Trump and incels, right? There's both extreme narcissism that I would associate with them. He said, hyper users are narcissistic, Machiavellian, psychopathic, and sadistic. And then he links to an article. So Midsider Lucid Fitzpatrick, very... Uh, Look at that blue check mark. Yeah, well, he paid for the $8 a month, right? But he very uh, wisely took this out of D- Jordan Peterson's, you know, we'll, we'll say um, academic ease, academia ease, and simplified it. He said, totally agree. We need less anonymity on this platform. Now, something, William, I want to note is he didn't say we need no anonymity. He said we need less anonymity. You recognize the difference, yes? Yes, very much so. Yep. Okay. So then Jack, the guy who made Twitter, said that would be a big mistake. And Elon Musk replied and said, verification through the payment system plus phones. So he's saying there's two ways to verify. But allowing pseudonyms is the least bad solution I can think of. Uh, So there's two things here, William. One, I have a better solution I want to propose to you. And two, I I want to talk about how anonymity has value, but when done too much is destructive. So the first thing is the system. I think there should be multiple tiers. I think there should be uh, a highest tier for people who are known in the public sphere and are verified. And I'm talking about like celebrities. Like you need to know that that's Kanye's Twitter. You need to know that that's Trump's Twitter. You need to know that that's Ashton Kutcher's Twitter. That's Zack Snyder's Twitter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. People who impersonate those people, that is bad. That can't happen. And then two, there needs to be a way for people who don't want to or feel the need to be anonymous. There needs to be a tier for them. And the way the tweets are displayed have to change based upon that. So someone like, you know, Midsider Lucid Fitzpatrick, he paid, he has his picture up there. I'm assuming he did the phone verification, whatever that is. I don't know. I don't I don't care about being verified. He is in that middle tier. Then there should be a bottom tier for people who you can't verify who they are. Either they refuse to or they wish to remain anonymous. This means people who don't want to go through the steps or pay to be verified and people who wish to remain anonymous are together. Now, these tweets would not be shown and get a lot of interaction unless they're filtered upwards. And what I mean by that is, I believe if you create this three-tier system where the bottom tier isn't really seen as much, you will always have people that I would call muckrakers. You would always have people down there trying to find the good content and the important content. So the value of anonymity would still be there. And then we would minimize the harmful effects of anonymity. Now, the value, William, is there are legitimately people who need anonymity to speak out against terrible, oppressive, tyrannical situations, especially in other countries. And the technology allows for that in a way that has never existed before. 
Whereas the bad is people use that to hide behind it and say whatever the fuck they want that's disconnected from reality, as we were talking about before. So those are my thoughts, William. What do you think about everything I just said? I think it integrates kind of nicely. I think I brought it up on the show before how I was talking about uh, I, I kind of conceptualize some people who work at their Twitter identity or their social media identity as is sort of like a, a that that but that becomes like a digital property because it has some value right that digital a- identity that you've cultivated actually means something right it has some value some economic value and um and i i think the other the only thing i would want to think about is for for folks that are pseudo anonymous that develop that identity but it's not their own it's not their their public identity right Think of like someone like Libs of TikTok, right? She didn't want to be public. She wanted to be able to. She she was definitely an identity, right? And 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 a public identity, but but she didn't want to associate it with her public identity, right? And I think there's that's a that's a tier sort of pseudo pseudo anonymous that's in between the the sort of purely anonymous, which I think we need. You know, there's a four re- chan will always be the home of the best memes because of that exact muckraker preference that you're putting up with. There yeah. is tons of shit on 4chan. There's yeah. also liquid gold, right? Like, but see, that's really what I'm wondering if Libs of TikTok is a great example because you could argue maybe there should be a brand tier and that's a brand. Uh, and maybe making people decide what kind of an account they want helps with that. And that, of course, also raises... Um, there's a um, enforcement issue with all of these social media platforms, right? With the amount of content that's being created every day, all the time, how do you properly moderate it, right? That's a, that's a major problem that needs to be addressed in social media. But, so maybe you have the brand tier, but also, isn't that an example of what I was just talking about? Based on the yeah. quality of that account, the muckrakers would raise it up, and then perhaps it could become verified and offered the opportunity to be verified as a, hey, there's, here's an account that's using anonymity not to be hateful and to, and to share content. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think of it almost like a, uh, like a video game, right, of, of you know, your character progression. Yeah. And, and the, the issue with the blue checkmark before Elon, uh, I guess we'll say BE, um, was the that it was it was cronyism, right? It was just complete cronyism, and you, yes. it, it, people were buying and selling it for like ten to twenty thousand dollars using uh, insider methods, yeah, to uh, to get blue check marks. So, and so yeah, like well, it. and the problem with anonymity before Elon is people using it not for legitimate purposes, using it to be uh, a. a um, uncooperative interlocutor as as my friend would say from back in the day right using it to intentionally troll to intentionally sabotage conversation like you said there's so much shit on 4chan it's all it's all of those people right and the problem is with the between the two things you just said william is the normal average person who just wants to go on twitter and sort of shoot the shit it's sort of like if you went into a bar and half of the bar was a bunch of you know cronyism And they were the cool kids. And the other half of the bar were people who just harassed you. Like you would stop going to the bar and the bar would lose value. Now, would it keep making money? Yeah. 
because the cronies would be giving it money and the the shitsters would be giving it money but yeah, then well, if- your out of box experience on, on this twitter that you're designing here uh justin would just be you're only allowing the that first two tier and you would have to opt into that third tier right the an- anonymous tier yeah yeah actually that's that's a great way of putting it you, you when you sign up you you go through either the verification process or you opt into the third tier yeah and i think maybe that's the problem is the the uh the horse has left the barn already as they say right yeah but it's something we need to keep thinking about we need to keep thinking about it because there is like you said there is a value to having a different digital identity but it's it, that's the same thing william don't people have a different public identity than they do in their own house? And I'm not to say like you don't hold the same beliefs in public and everything, but like I don't act the same way with my students and my athletes that I do at home or when Yeah, I'm, but we don't like, respect those boundaries anymore. And that's that's about putting up a digital boundary, right? Right. Like I I'm 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 I have no I have no uh um delusions about my digital identity and how I manage it, right? I know everything is connected. Right. If I want to do something anonymously, uh, I know how hard that actually is to do. So I don't have any delusions about everything that I do online not being able to be connected back to me. Because um, that's my that's my 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 discipline. That's my engineering discipline that I'm yeah. into. Right. I know how how know how that stuff works too well to know that how hard it is to decouple that. However, I also want to give people that, like for most normal people, there is a, a amount of risk in communication that they that they are willing to take if they know they're anonymous or pseudonymous versus something that they're that is almost like a press release that they're putting out and there's and we we should respect those boundaries and we don't right now right like if i pseudo anonymously post like post some like crazy novel and i don't want it to be associated with me and then years later it comes out that oh that well that is actually william's book that's not that that's not the end of the world years later right that that pseudo anonymous was valuable at the time, um, and but we don't respect those boundaries anymore, right? No, everything is is connected. Everything is connected in that way. And you know, I used to just post whatever I wanted, but now, especially being a coach and a teacher, I'm very careful with what I post. I mean, an example here, and I'm kind of blurring the line by having a podcast. And with what I'm about to say on the podcast is. You know, right before I recorded this, I watched the Patriots win a game ten to three by returning a punt. Uh, in the last, there was five seconds left when they they got in the end zone, so there was like ten seconds left when the was punted. So ostensibly, it was a walk off punt to win the game, right? And it was against the Jets. So I literally, when that happened, was running around my house yelling "fuck the Jets," right? Now I po- <laughs> I shared the punt return on my social media, but did I say "fuck the Jets"? <laughs> no, no, because I don't yeah. want to model that for like my team. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, they may go behind closed doors and, and trash talk the other teams behind closed doors with their friends. I don't know what they talk about in the locker room. You know, and now I've I've walked into the term locker room talk, but that's a real thing. Sorry, people not defending Trump, but that's a real thing. And, you know, people stay say stuff behind closed doors. You know, I say stuff between myself and my wife and like. You know, yelling fuck the Jets in my own house is is reasonable, right? But I don't want to model that, so I'm not posting that publicly. And that's, I think, again, that's something people still haven't come to terms with as far as the internet as well. Just that the common person hasn't, you know? And what value, let me ask you this, William, 
what value would there be if I made an anonymous account that was just about saying fuck the Jets? Like, should well, that be least... something that's on the same level as people who don't want to be anonymous? No, I, I, I think I think that uh, I think that this one of the things that Trump or sorry, that uh, that I said when Trump first started tweeting is it's so easy to mute him and block him. Right. And and it's something that Musk has said is we should have better tools. And I think this this integrates with that, right? Having better tools and saying, like, I don't want I don't want to see anything that's not verified, or I don't want to see anything that's not got this pseudonymous tier. Or yes, I want to sell like I'll allow retweets from people I follow from the pseudonymous tier. You yeah. see what I mean? Like there's different things that you can you could tune this. Uh we could make it so that nothing ever goes viral that's from the anonymous tier. Yeah. Right? And In I, other words, I, it has to come from the, you know, the higher higher tier. It has to get, like you said, pulled up the tier. Well, and I think yeah. Um, something that works with this and gives us a good ending place for this discussion is I will posit this, William. I think basically okay. what you're saying is the users need to be allowed to have more control over the algorithm. Now, I understand the algorithm's out there doing its thing without anyone controlling it, but all of the users' input into the algorithm is indirect. And what I mean by that is it's implicit. They're not aware they're inputting into it. They're simply tracking what you're engaging with and how long you're engaging with it for and how it's similar to other things that other people have engaged with. And based on that, showing you content that they think, then this was all in the, the documentary on Netflix, right? The social network documentary. It's an excellent documentary. Um, showing you the content they think is going to keep you more engaged rather than asking you how you would like to engage. Do you understand what I'm saying, William? Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It, it makes a lot of sense if you're respectful of people to ask them to be more engaged with the algorithm rather than have the algorithm control them. It's two different perspectives of human life and how we should treat each other. And we're talking about how to treat each other and the sort of line between public and private being destroyed. Uh, an interesting story came out this week. I didn't see the TikTok or anything. I don't know. William, did you see anything about this funeral story? No, I didn't. It's a, it's got some mission connections. I can give some flavor to some of this. Uh, it's so a, it's a crazy article though, Justin. Yeah. This article that, that sums it all up is from the daily mail. The um, the headline is man eviscerated as racist, misogynistic, xenophobic Trump supporter at his funeral is billionaire auto loans magnate Donald Foss. So apparently what happened is this young lady posted a video of her at her father's funeral, and it was anonymous as to who the, the father was. So in this article, there's some statements from her eulogy. Uh, I would like to read those statements and then go into the rest of the story. Because I did not, like, I'm not on TikTok, William. I did not see the TikTok. I have not watched the video, but I think it's important to see what she said and to know that this is her father she is talking about. Says, Dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disrespected and disregarded the lives and deaths of entire communities of people with your ideologies. You told me to never back down, so I won't. You know for a fact that even against you, I'm not afraid to share my peace. You are everything that I aspire not to be. I refuse to stand up here and sing the praises of a man who was the paradigm of white supremacy. So I'll, I'll take your racist mindset. I'll take your money. 
I'll take your advice and I swear to God, I will make this world a better place, not at all because of you, but in exact opposition of you. Now, I don't know if his daughter, Samantha, is adopted or not, but uh, she... I think the wife... You look at the last picture, Justin, scroll okay. down. Scroll down. I'm scrolling. Uh, I see the, the mansion and the... the... Uh, there's the, this picture with her mother. I see the tennis court. I see her like friends. Third to last out of one. Yeah. There's so many pictures. Picture. Who did... She's black and she played hockey? Like, what is this? Sorry. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Oh, this is her mother. Foss married Samantha's yeah. mother, Constance, after divorcing his first wife, with whom he had two children. So this seems to apply, though, that he's not the... I don't know. It's hard to tell. But It's hard to tell. Yeah. Is this his biological daughter or is this the daughter from that he adopted from the first marriage? Right. Or from this woman's presumable right. first marriage. Yeah, it's super unclear, right? Right. It's very unclear. And, but the thing I want to focus in on here is even if it's unclear or not, you know, this article is saying, you know, how much she her college costs, which, I mean, that's what, like, college costs, right? It says 57 a year, 57K a year school, and grew up in a $7.3 million mansion. And whatever their exact relationship is, she clearly receives some sort of support from this man, right? Because there's a picture of her very young, right? We have here uh, the, uh, I don't know, the second picture in the article, William, there's a picture of him. And then there's a very grainy picture of her as like, I don't know, like five or six years old. So this, this, this guy was in her life for a long time. And she says, I'll take your money. I'll take your advice. I swear to God, I will make this world a better place. Not at all because of you, but in exact opposition to you. Not at all because of you. So you are not anything because of him. Do you understand the point I'm making? Like she's trying to ignore the contributions he made to her life. And that's part of the problem we have here where we're trying to make everything ideological and everything political. And we're destroying this line between the political and the personal where we're not looking at the way we really affect each other. We're seeing everyone as avatars or, I mean, it's collectivism. We're seeing everyone as the groups they belong to, not as who they are individually. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, in one of the, one of the captions, it talks about how, um, and this is relevant, um, how her mother, who's black, pushed back on the daughter for doing some sort of, uh, BLM fist punt bump or whatever at his, at her high school graduation. So, but that, and, but that all their social media posts before that were very loving about both her mom and her dad. So like, this has got to be like, this has got to be some sort of rampant narcissism. Like, that's what makes this sad to me is this is, if this isn't cluster B personality disorder, I don't know what is. You stand up at your father's funeral and you make it all about you. It's crazy. Yeah, well, and that's what we've been saying about all of this, right? We've said it before. We're part of what makes social justice so, so intoxicating, so seductive is the word I was looking for, is it gives you a sense of power, right? It's the idea that, oh, we can, I think Adam Kroll has talked about this. We can all get together online and we can bring down this person who we never would have been able to bring down before, right? We can cancel this celebrity, right? Oh, if we all get together, yeah. we can cancel Kanye. Where, who the fuck are you? Like, Kanye would never even know you existed. Well, I mean, 
This is kind of everything we said about Donald Trump in one father-daughter relationship. Didn't we say that people who were raging against Trump were raging against their fathers and they were missing the real problem about Trump? They were missing the real problem about him because it was them wanting to be heard and wanting to their dads to hear them. Well, this is the same thing, isn't it? Isn't this this girl didn't want to hear or didn't think that her father hurt her. So she now she finally needed to do it at his funeral. It's like she got the last word. It's, yeah. it's I don't know. You don't get. Yeah, it's weird that you, you don't get this like narcissistic without some serious trauma. Yeah. Right. So like like and one, on one side you want to kind of feel bad, but then like. The parents sent her to these like super the, the school the Frank the, they grew up in Franklin Michigan it's like super rich area um, outside of Detroit um, went to what high school did they say they said and I already forgot um, oh yeah Wiley Groves High School in Beverly Hills Beverly Hills Michigan super super I mean rich Wiley Groves area. just sounds like a, a rich school <laughs> Wiley E Groves yep um, so this is all wait is it really uh, I mean, it's, Wiley it's E not, Groves. How old is that school? Is Wiley E. E. Coyote based on it? Isn't he Wiley E. Coyote? (laughs) I'm going to Google this. That's a good question. Continue. Uh, What I was saying is, if there's not trauma, this has got to be because there's no gravity in this situation, right? Like, there's no way. There's just no way. Well, what you're even proposing, William, it, it makes me even wonder if we should redefine what trauma is especially as someone who teaches high school nowadays. I mean, what these kids are subjected to, the numbing of their minds by the school system and by the culture is arguably trauma. Because look, I go back, this is what I go back to with my kids in debate, right? When we're talking about ideas, we're talking about how to debate things. I say, go back to the state of nature, go back to the state of nature and then make your argument based upon that. Right. Should should we have more gun control? Well, why? Why does a gun exist in a state of nature? And then why do you need a gun? And then what should you do with it from there? Build back up. Don't just say we have guns now. Right. Well, in a state of nature, there's no school. But in a state of nature, don't you have to use your mind to survive? Well, now we've made it so you don't have to use your mind to survive. So what does that do to the mind in the long term, especially the developing mind? And then you give them something to fix. They it have on. to compete, Justin. They have to compete because you can't take that out of reality. And what do they compete right. on? Who can be the better parasite? Right. Well, and that's exactly what I was just saying is then you fill it with something else and that gives them the thing to fixate on. And you tell them their survival's yep. at stake. And it is because if you're going to be a parasite, you have to be the best parasite. Otherwise, some other parasite will just suck off, no, suck your blood. <laughs> William started with, let's go home together and ended with sucking off. So let's yep. go home today together. Look, typical. this is literally verbally pissing on someone's grave, right? Like we say yeah. pissing on someone's grave. And I don't, I don't want to, and I don't want to, I don't want to hit it too hard, but just to be super clear, if you go stand up and in front of someone's funeral, in front of all of your family and you say I hated this guy and walked off the stage that's one thing but that second part makes it all about her right and that's the part that makes it like narcissism off the charts right to stand up and say this guy you know was a racist and misogynist and you know none of us should uh, honor him and then leave is one thing 
But that second part is what makes this makes it narcissism on steroids. Right. I would even argue even the act of having to say that has a tinge of narcissism to it. But the narcissism on steroids, because really, if you don't want to be around the guy, won't you just not go to the funeral? Not go to their funeral. Yeah. What's what what's a bigger insult if you're someone's parent or child? Sorry. And you don't go to your parents funeral. Right. Barring some sort of like. I'm deployed to Iraq, right? right? <laughs> and the other people will reflect on that. And then other people who want to know will ask you, why didn't you go? But here, she yep. intentionally went into making a political point. And that's what you're saying. The showing... All for the TikTok views. Right. She posted on TikTok. Don't forget that last right. step. So the showing up is narcissism. The saying you hated the person is narcissism. The saying the exact content she said about... You know, you're a white, you're the embodiment of white supremacy, and I'm going to do things in spite of you is narcissism. He's the white face of white supremacy. The white face of white supremacy. Donald Foss was the white face of white supremacy. Well, I think we have a new meme on the show, William. Um, (laughs) And then on top of that, to post it on social media, to post it on TikTok for the TikTok views. Yeah, this all sort of perfectly embodies a lot of what we talk about here on the midside, it's, it's very farcical and it just shows it's even funnier. Cause and I'll end on this thought. Remember when Elliot thought the kid who tried to poison his mother because she took his phone away, he thought that was peak farce. Yeah. Isn't this just that story on steroids? Yeah. Only if we find out that she also gave him the cancer. <laughs> I think that's, well, no, that's the next one. That's the next one. Oh, okay. That's the next okay, one. Yeah, yeah. That's where it goes from here, right? Yeah. But do you yeah. see how this is that story on steroids? Yeah, I definitely see that. Okay. I think that brings us to a, a good close here on Life on the Midside. Let's talk about some art in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You can find it by going to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there is the join code. If you join the Discord, you can also participate in our year-end awards show by submitting your nomination for categories such as Narcissist of the Year. I mean, maybe this, uh, this young woman, Donald Foss's daughter, can win it because I I can't think of much more narcissistic things. Um, You can also vote for the awards such as the Zack Snyder Awesomeness Award, and you can see who won the awards in previous years. If you go to themidside.com, I'm going to have up there a page that shares all of that information. William, this week I saw The Menu. The Menu stars Nicholas Holt and Anna Taylor-Joy and the guy whose name I can't say who played Voldemort. And Nicholas Holt's character and Anna Taylor-Joy's character go to a expensive dinner held by a celebrity chef played by Voldemort. And when they're there, it's all about showing or creating art through the menu. And they're experiencing uh, everything that this 
chef has to offer. Now, the trailer demonstrates that there's going to be some sort of twist to the movie, and it seems like it's going to become like that movie where people are hunted. But the twist isn't quite that. I'm going to try not to spoil it exactly, but it's going to be difficult. It's tough to talk about a movie like this without uh, completely spoiling it. But here, there's walkers in the barn, and Lori's pregnant. Yeah, that's fine. There you go. Yeah, it's that's, a cat, cats on the back. Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, so I'm going to read my one sentence review on Letterboxd here. It says, "It's impossible to dislike a movie that raises up the traditional American cheeseburger, especially one that positions it and the quote unquote common man as the disregarded in our culture's battle." So what you find out through the movie is all of the people at the dinner, and there's like ten of them. Or 12, something like that. It's not many, right? There's, you know, 20 at most. Are part of the meticulous plan of the chef. So the chef meticulously plans his meal. He meticulously planned all of those people there. And he says that, you know, him and his staff are the makers. And these people are the takers. And and these people that he calls the quote-unquote takers, they're people such as, you know, a food blocker. Someone who sits on the internet and, you know, we see this all the time. I, I thought his character was very comparable to a Disney influencer where they go online and they talk about all these things about Disney and expose all the secrets without really understanding what makes Disney, quote unquote, magical and enjoyable. Right. I, I've said it before on the show. I think I have. William. William, haven't I discussed how you can't go to Disney anymore without people like having a meta conversation about Disney. Oh, Disney used to do this. They used to do that. I liked this part about it. I didn't like that part about it. Yes. I've talked about that before. Yeah. 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 You can't just experience it. Right. right? You can't just experience it. And that's what he, the chef says at the beginning of of the meal. He says, Nope, don't take any pictures. He said, it's a necessarily ephemeral experience and taking pictures is trying to capture something that's not meant to be captured. Well, it's the same thing with a lot of these influencers. I mean, think about it. Taking pictures is so common on social media. So it critiques all these people. The, the, you know, the, the food blogger, the food critic, the, the actor. Uh, there's, a, there's a rich couple who, as he says, you know, you've been 11 times and you can't remember any of it because essentially you're doing it for clout. So there's a critique of sort of secondhandedness in here. But at the same time, the chef and his staff are seen are meant to be villains. So even though they're the makers, they're sort of the stand-ins for Hollywood, where they're like the elitist uh, uh, art makers who, as Anna Joy- Taylor Joy's character says, you know, you're making food, but it's not food I like, and you're telling me not to eat, right? You're not worried about my hunger. You're not worried about what food actually is. And isn't that something we say all the time with movies, William, that people aren't worried about movies. They're worried about an agenda with their movies. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole movie critiques all the sides and the only sort of good character is Anna Taylor Joy. I don't want to reveal a lot of what happens and what the cheeseburger has to do with it. Although if you're smart and you've listened to this show enough and you know how my mind works, you can infer what the cheeseburger means. Because I do think this movie is worth watching. Uh, it's hard for me to give it an exact rating. On Letterboxd, I gave it a 3.5, and I did put it in the 3.5 out of 5, and I did put it in the, the top 10 of the, of the year. 
But I wouldn't exactly call it a bromantic movie because we are in such a time where social justice ideology has infected everything that there's a tinge of that in this movie. There's one specific part where essentially the chef apologizes and has a me too moment. And that's part of the whole menu. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to exactly praise a movie that has so many good parts to it, but then has such massive misfires such as that. So it, it sounds like if that had been done performative and meta, it would have worked, right? If that was also part of the critique, it could have worked. But And there's questions the of if it, it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It depends on how self-aware, because the menu, I mean, think about that. It's called the menu, and then the movie's about figuring out what the, like, the, the food blogger character does say, like, part of it is you don't know what the menu's about until the end. So they do see that idea in the movie. But part of what I'm saying, William, and thank you, you're putting a finer point on it, is the execution is just not good enough to know if that's intentional or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are they critiquing yeah. social justice culture or are they part of it? Because a lot of the critiques are very well taken. I mean, the ephemeral line sticks with me because it, it makes such a good point. The point about the, the cheeseburger is so good because it makes such a good point. It makes a good point about the actor, about the critic, about the, you know, the the rich couple who's wasting all their money to go to these dinners, even though their marriage is falling apart. There's a lot of excellent critiques there. And the, the chef and his staff are clearly the bad guys. And if they're clearly the bad guys, doesn't that mean I should take everything they're saying as horrific and wrong? So therefore, isn't it a critique of social justice? But this is why it's yeah. a top 10 movie of the year. And it's worth seeing because it gives you a lot to think about. It just makes me wonder how intentional it is. And that's something, unfortunately, we have to deal with nowadays, do we not? Yeah. Unless they're like uh, She-Hulk and break the fourth wall every two seconds to explain it to us. Yeah, but She-Hulk was obviously social justice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So look, this is a... The very first frame. Right. This is a solid bro movie. It's right on the line between bro and bromantic. There's a lot of good stuff here. There's good performances. Anna Taylor-Joy seems to pick good projects. Uh, so either her or her agent is pretty smart. Right? So I would say see this movie. I think it's worth seeing. It also, I think, William, points to a lot of the trailers we're going to watch this week, especially the first one, where there's a line here where is it social justice or is it not? And I think it's getting harder to tell because I think when we say ideas are downstream or the you know, culture's downstream from ideas, I think it also trickles down too, and people internalize it and include it without realizing it. They're internalizing it and including it. And I think that's in many of the trailers this week, if not four out of the five trailers this week. So let's do it. Let's do trailer takedown. I put the trailers in the Discord usually the Saturday before we record. That's so you can watch them whenever you want. Maybe you want to watch them before the episode, watch them after the episode, or, you know, you alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Chevalier. I think I said that properly. Chevalier is a Fox searchlight picture about a black prodigy at violin and classical music in the time of the French Revolution. Now, I think this is a, 
I think they said it was based on a true story. I don't know. I don't know anything about the history of this. But this is what I'll say. This trailer came on before the menu. And when I was watching it, like, I, w- I was into it. Like, this seems to be romanticized. And it seems to be like, hey, this guy has talent and he needs to recognize his, recognize his talent. And, and you know, other people doubt him and he needs to fight against them and fight back. And they didn't really make the race thing important until the end. And then they linked it to the French Revolution. And, you know, my wife leaned over to me and she said it looked really good. And I was like, yeah, I agree. And she's like, really? I thought you'd complain about it being woke. And here's the thing. Maybe, but like, isn't that what fucking happened in the French Revolution? Weren't they racist back then? Like, wasn't it all about like the the aristocracy oppressing the lower class? Isn't this a time where it's legitimate to make a woke movie? Like, if they want to take all the woke movies and make them about when history sucked, like, I'm okay with that. Now, if they make it for an allegory for America, I don't, like, that's shit. But this trailer as itself, there's nothing I can really object to it in because, like, yeah, people were racist back then. The French Revolution happened for a reason. The lower class did get shit on. There was privilege. So this seems like the perfect vehicle to to have those ideas. Hug. Hug. Justin, I was not expecting that, but uh, it makes sense because uh, I was thinking something similar. I my only my only worry is is this another woman king situation where they're going to base it on a true story, but then rip the character and the actual conflict, uh, like not not thematically keep to what it is, right? Like the whole problem with woman king, if uh, if, if uh, for those of you. Uh, who forgot already was they took a character who was uh, in the slave trade, a kingdom that was in the slave trade and dramatized it and pretended like they were standing up against the oppressive white men. And, and they, basically they inverted the entire story, right? The, the, the British at the time were there uh, at the time were the ones yes, fighting against this black kingdom, but uh, they were trying to end the slave trade. <laughs> that, that was the war they were fighting. Um, and so, like, you, you have to wonder if it's going to be this way. Like, I, I'm not, I'm no history buff by far, but um, I think the last Dan Carlin, Carlin um, uh, um, podcast I listened to was talking about the slave trade and, and, and French colonies and things like that. And it was a really complicated, um, you know, around the time of the uh, of the revo- revolution. France itself was very classist, but not as racist as you might expect, um, except for when you got out to the colonies where, where it was definitely getting racist. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, overall, though, this looks like a good, exciting movie. It's got a bunch of music in it, so you know I'm going to be down with that. So I'm going to questionably hug this, because I still don't know if it's going to go all woman game. Hug? Second trailer. Emancipation is a Apple TV movie starring Will Smith. It's in black and white... And it's about a slave trying to escape to Louisiana in order to reunite with his family and get away from uh, the the Southerners who are holding him captive. Uh, all other cast members include Ben F- Foster. Uh, and here's something else you're probably not expecting, William. This looks like pure Oscar bait. But at the same time, again, if you're going to tell this kind of movie, this is the way to do it. Make it in black and white and tell the story of a slave trying to escape from the crazy Southerners 
and con- members of the Confederacy who want to hold them hostage. Oh, go over the top with the you know the shot at the end, which shows all the scars from him being lashed. This was a horrific time in American history, and this is the way to tell this story. Now, again, I don't know if they're going to use this as a way to couch social justice and say this is true in modern day America, or this is part of the 1619 project to convince us all that America was built on slavery. But it's just like Schindler's List doesn't mean everybody was trying to exterminate Jews and there's a history of anti-Semitism in the world. And telling this story doesn't mean that America was built on slavery. It just, this isn't an important story to tell. And it looks like it's told well because, I mean, Will Smith's a tremendous actor and this looks like, honestly, he looks like he's acting better in this than he did for King Richard. So maybe he'll win the Academy Award again. And maybe this is the one he should have deserved the Academy Award for. But if you're going to make an Oscar bait movie and you're going to make a movie about racism and about slavery, this is the way to do it. Actually fucking tell the story. And you know what? I think it looks good. Hug. Hug. Yeah, I've watched this uh, a couple weeks ago uh, when the preview came up on my Apple TV. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It de- it's definitely Oscar bait. Uh, I don't know if they'll invite him back to the Oscars. I mean, who's he going to punch this time? Um, that being said, his, uh, his dead billionaire dad, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> uh, that being said, I think I, again, if, as long as this doesn't go all woman King, right. If this is like, like it, it's great to dramatize these stories and I, and these are exactly the kind of stories you want to see. Just don't invert don't invert reality, right? That's the I, Justin. I keep coming back to it. My fear is subverting expectations. That's my fear. I still have that fear, even for this one. But it looks great. I, this one's actually pretty exciting. So I'm gonna hug it. Hug. Third trailer. Magic Mike's Last Dance is the third movie in the Channing Tatum trilogy that no one knew they wanted. William, uh, I'll be interested to see if you're worried about subverted expectations in this because this entire trailer subverted my expectations. Uh, I've seen I've seen at least one of the uh, Magic Mike movies. I don't remember which one, but I'd have to look at what it must have been the second one because I think I saw it with with my wife. That's probably the only way I would have seen it because I was dating her and she wanted to see it. And look, they're movies about male strippers. And I thought this movie was going to be about male stripping, but it looks like he's just like, this looks like more of a step-up sequel than it does a Magic Mike sequel. So in it, Channing Tatum's character is now a bartender, and he meets Selma Hayek's character, who he falls in love with, and then she's like, let's go to London and produce a giant stage show. Now, somehow, this movie becomes about, like, female empowerment or something? Like, I don't get how they smuggled that in. Like, when the main character is a dude? Like... I don't get it. Like, I, this is more along the lines I think of, like, I don't know. You know how we talked about previously on this show, the dichotomy some women have about, like, the men you have fun with and the men you marry? And, yeah. you know, women have always talked about, like, how men have, like, the Madonna whore complex. This movie seems to sort of be doing that with men for women, where Selma Hayek's trying to, like, redeem the the guy she has fun with or the whore guy and turn him into the Madonna guy turn him into the guy she marries so there's that element of it that seems very strange but on the other hand this there seems to be a lot of romantic elements in this 
and it seems very well produced. And it doesn't seem like the other two movies. Those are like slower sort of like independent dramas like Channing Tatum trying to get some credibility. Here it's just sort of like we know who Channing Tatum is. We know what this is about. Let's just go over the top with a dance movie. So I don't know if I'd see this in theaters, although I have a strong feeling I likely will because of the time it's coming out and I'm betting my wife wants to see it. But for the sake of reviewing, I would say this is a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. I think I saw the first one. It was all right. Um, Man, it was a long time ago, too, if I remember right. I did not see the second one. I watched this and yeah, this... This movie confuses me. I don't know what it, like if this is for women and and then they take out the the, the stripping men or I, it just is dancing now? I don't know. Like, is the audience got too old? Is this supposed to bring in a younger audience? Is this just is this just another movie in in uh like somebody somebody had the intellectual property rights to Magic Mike and just shoved another movie in here so this is what i'll say william to answer to some of your questions the first movie came out in 2012 the second movie came out in 2015 so maybe i saw it with my ex that's kind of embarrassing good thing my wife doesn't listen to my podcast um (laughs) and this movie comes out in 2022 but when i'm reading a little bit about this apparently they're trying to start like a magic mike universe where they're going to have spinoffs of some of the other characters from the first two movies. Because the first two movies were about like a group of strippers. And then yeah. this movie is only about Magic Mike. So maybe this is like Channing Tatum's end in the, Channing Tatum's end in the franchise. And then they're going to do like a... Um, uh, what's the guy that he played um, Deathstroke and he's the Fountainhead fan? Joe Manganiello. Maybe they're going to have a Joe Manganiello movie. And then maybe Kevin Nash will have his own movie. All right. All that being said, tackle. Tackle. Fourth trailer. The Old Way is a Western movie starring Nicolas Cage. This looks like a combination of John Wick and True Grit. True Grit was the uh, movie, the Western starring uh, Jeff Bridges and uh, Haley Steinfeld when she was a kid. That was where she got her big break from. And this is just that with Nicolas Cage and like he's out seeking revenge. Uh, It looks like Nicolas Cage is playing this pretty straight. He's not going over the top. And you know what? This looks just like a uh, just look like a Western that could be enjoyable. But again, there's a little bit of the girl power in here with like the little girl is going to fight alongside her dad, even though she's like eight. But again, that was sort of done with True True Blood, True Grit, where she was the, the Haley Steinfeld's character was really the hero of that movie. So it's sort of been done before, but this looks like it could be enjoyable. So depends on what's out at the same time. But again, I would give this Netflix and hug status. Netflix and hug. Nick Cage in a Western. You have me intrigued. Let's watch it. Hug. Final trailer. 80 for Brady is the movie that Tom Brady is producing about Four old women who go to the Super Bowl, I think, to try and meet Tom Brady. I don't know. They're big Tom Brady fans, and they go to the Houston Super Bowl, which if you're going to break into a Super Bowl when they come back from 28-3 to against the Falcons, that's the one to do. So this actually has a tremendous cast, right? It's sort of like uh, a bunch of Academy Award-winning actresses, and it's sort of like a, um, it's like a buddy road trip movie. 
except it's about going to the Super Bowl to meet Tom Brady. So here's the thing. There was a lot I liked about this, and you know I'm going to see this because I'm a Patriots fan, but William, when you have to go down to drugs and getting high as a joke in a road trip movie with old women, you are not trying. I understand it's a trope. I understand it's in almost every one of these movies, but can we please try and be more creative? Like, I thought that we went, this is like a hangover type movie, right? I thought when we did the hangover, we were done with that kind of thing in movies, right? We took that to the nth degree. We took it as far as we could go. And that's a shit movie, by the way. Oh yeah, I said it. Uh, So I'm going to see this regardless, but because of that one part, I'm just not very excited about it. So I have to knock it down to a Netflix and hug. Okay. Netflix and hug. Yeah, I'm not interested in this at all, Justin. So unless you come back saying it's good, it it does the 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 trailer does nothing for me. Um, yeah, doesn't look good to me at all. This is just a regular old tackle. Tackle. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode, William. What did we learn on this trip into the midside? That you'll see any content Tom Brady makes. Justin, what'd you learn this trip? I learned that Donald Foss is the white face of white supremacy. Or was. May he rest in peace. Also, rest in peace to Jason David Frank. And thank all of you for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, I would just be a crazy person talking into the corner of my closet. Uh, I still kind of am that, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. Uh, If you want to support the show, you should participate in the year-end awards Send your nominations and your votes in. You can also uh, support us on Patreon or Locals. Midside.com slash Patreon. The Midside.com slash Locals. You can support us by going to Midside.com slash Store, picking up some merch. Midside.com slash The Cut or searching for my novel on Amazon. These are all how we keep the lights on. Or the best way to grow the show is to tell a woman. Tell a female friend. You know what? If they identify as female, I'm going to assume as if they identify as female, it's because they assume females gossip all the time. So tell someone who identifies as a female about the show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Evanzeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Disrespect and disregard the lives and deaths of entire communities and peoples with your ideology. I think when you use the plural peoples that's another thing like putting pronouns in your in your uh bio that i can just immediately disregard anything you're gonna say so that kid i wrestled in high school drew peoples i should have just disregarded him before i shook his hand <laughs> uh well i think proper names uh, are what will be the exception that makes the rule <laughs>